Unlike some of you, I've not read uh, the story of Robinson Crusoe, but I've read about it, and uh, when I picture Robinson Crusoe, probably like most of you, I, I think of Robinson Crusoe as a castaway on a deserted island. I did, though, read a, a commentary of sorts on the beginning of the story, the beginning of his sailing adventure. Robinson Crusoe, this fictional uh, castaway, was, was reared in a Christian home, Christian mom and dad, brought up in the way a child should go. But he had wanderlust. He, he couldn't settle down. His dad begged him to, to be responsible and to settle down, but he just couldn't bring himself to. He wandered one day down to the docks where the, where the ships were docked and a friend of his was there, and the, the, ship, the, the ship was about to leave. His friend was going to leave on that ship, and he said to, to Robinson Crusoe, come, come join us. Join us on the ship. It won't cost anything. You can help out a little bit. And, and without telling his parents, Robinson Crusoe made an impulsive decision, and, um, and he jumped on the ship. It wasn't long until Robinson Crusoe recognized that he had made a mistake. The ship soon sailed into a, a terrible storm, and uh, Robinson Crusoe became terribly seasick and um, deathly afraid. And in his illness and his fear, he made vows to God. God, if you'll just get me to dry land, I'll never do anything like this again. But the storm eventually subsided and his fears faded and he forgot the vows that he made in the middle of the storm. He, he participated in some post-storm revelry. He, he drank too much and his vows uh, drowned at the bottom of a bottle and, um, and that was that. From time to time he would, he would wonder if maybe he should go home. From time to time he would Feel feelings of remorse, but he, he called them fits, by the way, when he would have those feelings of remorse. But those fits would pass, and, and he'd go about enjoying his life, and well, you know, the rest of the story, he ended up as a, sure enough, castaway on a deserted island. I wonder if anybody here knows a little bit what, about, what it would, about what it's like to be a a modern-day Robinson Crusoe. Anybody here ever made an impulsive decision? Anybody here ever maybe accepted an invitation into something that you later regretted? Anybody ever sail into a storm of your own making? Anybody ever end up as a castaway on a deserted island as, uh, of such where you, where you ended up in a, a mess of your own making? We're going to talk for three weeks about wandering and about finding our way home. Robert Robinson wrote the hymn that we just sang in the 1700s, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And he did uh, pin that phrase, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. For three weeks, we're going to talk about that phrase, prone uh, to wander. We're going to talk about wandering, 
We're going to talk about a, a word that I'm on a campaign to reclaim. We've lost use of the word backsliding. We don't talk about that anymore. It's a good word. It's a good word. It, went, it seems to have faded into non-use back when some other words faded into non-use, some words that were really popular when I was a kid, like groovy. You know, that was a good, that's a good word. Groovy means cool, like um, as in that, that denim jacket that Travis wore last Sunday was groovy. You know, that's how we might use uh, that phrase. Or far out, nobody says far out anymore. That's a good phrase. Far out means wonderful, as in, man, that concert was far out. Or, or split, nobody says split anymore. You know, I can't hang around I, after church. I've got to split or bag, you know, things that interest me, like school just ain't my bag, you know, that kind of thing. Those are good words that we... But I'm not on a campaign to call to get those back. I am on a campaign to recall the word uh, backslide. It's a good word. It means, of course, to, to slide back. It's, I was here in my relationship with God. It was warm and intimate and close and important to me. But I've, I've slid backwards. I'm not where I, I used to be. It's a, good, it's a good word. It's a biblical word to, to backslide. We're going to use the story that you heard read a moment ago about Peter, his infamous story of denying Jesus three times. He backslid. He made an impulsive decision. He wandered he, and, and then lamented it. So let's, let's talk briefly about those elements of Peter's story that I think will be helpful to us. First, uh, Peter was overly confident in his goodness. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to, you're going to deny me. Not... No, not me, Lord. Now, Matthew, the tax collector, I've never trusted him. You might want to watch him. But then there's Judas. I've never liked Judas. He has those beady eyes. I don't, don't, don't. And Thaddeus, you better watch Thaddeus, but not me, Lord. In fact, Lord, I, will, I would lay down my life for you. But it wasn't long, you know, until he indeed did deny Jesus three times and the rooster crowed and Peter felt terribly. He overestimated his goodness. It must have been a defining moment in my life because I remember right where I was when I had the conversation. I was in early high school, maybe eighth or ninth grade. And I was down in Anniston where I grew up. We were on Wilmer Avenue down right next to Noble Street Elementary School where I went to elementary school. I was in the car with Ed Baker, our student minister. We were talking about a couple a teenage couple who'd made a bad decision and were dealing with the consequences of that decision. And I made a rather sanctimonious comment. I said, I'd never do that. I don't remember exactly what Peter, I mean, what, what Ed Baker said, but there followed a, um, a long lecture on not overestimating my goodness, about not underestimating my capacity to make really bad decisions. You know, I do think some of us think, um, oh, I, I, I'm above that, whatever that is. And if we are, I, I, would, I would caution us. Pride comes, you know, before the, the fall. Peter overestimated his goodness, underestimated his capacity to do something really awful. That was maybe the first step toward his event of backsliding. 
Second, he began to follow at a distance and refused to identify openly with Jesus. Verse 54 says, Peter followed at a distance. And then three times he denied that he was among Jesus' followers. Some of us, it seems, are a bit ashamed, a bit embarrassed to be counted among the followers of Jesus. We talk a big game at church. You know, here we quote scripture and we proudly take our stand among the Christian people, but, but get us beyond our, our bubble, our, our confines of Christianity, and some of us act a little bit ashamed. Picture with me a, a man or a woman on a business trip in a city far from home in a place where nobody would ever recognize him or her. This business traveler stands in a fancy hotel in the lobby at the entrance to the lounge, a dimly lit lounge. And uh, standing there in the, in the doorway, he or she discreetly reaches down and slips the wedding ring off his or her finger. Now, you and I would say that person just took a dangerous step down a dangerous road. And the same is true for us when we... When we choose not to identify with Jesus, it's when we're embarrassed or ashamed, we, we're headed up, taking a dangerous step down a dangerous road. Peter's problem was that, in that he, he followed at a distance and said, no, I'm not, a, I'm not among them. So he, he overestimated his goodness, underestimated his capacity to do something really bad. He, he, he was embarrassed or ashamed to be counted among the followers of Jesus. And then uh, third, he, he, he warmed himself by the wrong fire. He sat down with the wrong folks. Verse 55, Peter sat down with those outside the circle of, of Jesus' followers. Now, there weren't many that night. And those with whom he sat around the fire, with whom he sat around the fire, they might have been mockers or scoffers, or maybe they were just onlookers, but they were not in the circle of, of Jesus' followers. Maybe we need to be careful about who we hang around with. Now, I, I want to be real careful here because I, I, I always say and I believe deeply that a lot of us need more friends who are not yet Christians. Some of us have gotten into this spiritual enclave where all our friends are, are Christian brothers and sisters, and I think all of us need to be counted as Jesus was as a friend of sinners. So I think a lot of us need to expand our, our circles. But there is a balance, and if my faith is weak and if it is new, then, then those with whom I share the most special moments of life need to be followers of Jesus. And, and there is a balance. So if, I, if the likelihood of somebody pulling me down is, is greater than the likelihood of me pulling them up, then, then I need to pull back probably from those relationships. Please hear me. I'm not suggesting that we only have Christian friends. I think that would be disastrous. But when it comes to our intimate relationships, those with whom we, we do life, then, then let's be careful who, who, are, who are intimate friends are. Peter backslid. Anybody here? Has anybody here backslid? Anybody here wandering? Has anybody here wandered? If you have, how do you get, how do you get back? I was uh, mowing the grass in Richmond, uh, Virginia, where we lived before coming here. I was uh, out there in the front yard mowing the lawn, I had my um, earpiece in for listening to my iPod, probably listening to 70s music, and, 
guy I didn't know pulled up in a car, a stranger pulled up the edge of the, ro- uh, the yard and, and rolled his window down. Well, I took my earpieces out and stopped the mower and walked over. And His first question was these words, how do I get out of here? Well, I thought that was a rather odd question. I thought I'd understood his words, but I didn't understand what he meant. So I said, um, excuse me? And then he said, how do I get back to where I was? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I found out that he, would, he was not from around there, and he'd been on the main road. He'd pulled down into our neighborhood which, granted, had an odd layout of row of streets. But what a, what a good question. How do I get back to where I was? Anybody need to get back to where you were? How do you do that? Well, I'm on the crusade to recover another word, not just backslide. I'm on the crusade to recover another good word, the word repent. We don't use that one much either. If we... If you hear the word repent, if somebody says that, you probably have an image in your head of somebody with a, a, some kind of placard, you know, some protester with a big sign that says repent. Or maybe last year uh, over at um, Tinsel Trail when we were doing our nativity, uh, there was a, a street preacher there. He's completely on the other end of, uh, the, uh, of the Tinsel Trail, but I could hear him. Uh, he was rather enthusiastic, and, I, and I, I, I admire the courage of street preachers, even if I, I don't agree with their tactics. But he was loud, and my hunches, uh, I bet he said repent a lot uh, that night to people who walked by. But repent is a good word. It's a good, in fact, it's the first word recorded of Jesus' preaching. The first recorded word of Jesus in, in his first recorded sermon, the first sentence was, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. It's a good word. So what does it mean? Well, repent is a multifaceted word, and there are three things we need to understand to know the word uh, repent. The first word is remorse. Second is return. And then rethink. Let's look at those one at a time. Remorse is to feel the depth of the evil in our hearts. You know, we don't like to feel bad about ourselves. We don't like to make other people feel bad about themselves. And so we use words like emotional dysfunction and attitude adjustment. And, but, you know, to, to, to know remorse is to understand that, that I am a sinner by nature and by choice. And that my sin hurts me and it hurts people around me and breaks the heart of our Father. To feel remorse is to understand that that what I'm doing is not just wrong, but it's, well, there's another good word. It's, it's sin. It's to understand that, that this is not, that I need more than an attitude adjustment or more than just a therapy session, but I need redemption. I need help that I cannot and no other human can provide. To feel remorse is to know what happened to Peter when the Bible says he wept bitterly. So many of us want to play the role of the victim. I'm a victim of my parents' bad parenting. I'm a victim of my peers. I'm a victim of a, of, of a bad culture. Or we want to explain away our problems. We want to 
rationalize them or justify them. We'll never get home that way. The, the way home begins with remorse. Now, I know you can't manufacture emotion, but we can't admit the depth of our the depth of our sin, and when that happens, remorse comes. The way home begins, the first step home is remorse. Remember, repent is remorse, return, and rethink. So there's remorse, the second is to return. The word repent is like, is like a U-turn on the highway of life. It's like when, 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 you, when you were saved by the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. And, and he's like that internal GPS system that when you head down the wrong road, he whispers compassionately and passionately, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. Repent is to say, God, I'm headed this way. I know I am, and I know this is wrong. And so by your strength and your grace and your help, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to head over here. And by your strength and your grace and your help, I'm not going over there again. It is to, to repent is to return to where I once was, to what I once knew. So many, somebody listening to me now used to be involved in your church, and you're not anymore. And at least you're sitting on the edge of the pool with your feet in the water, but you used to be swimming in the deep end. To return is to return to the life of your church. It is to return to, to your love for and your study of Scripture. It's to, to reignite your prayer life. To, to repent is to return to what once was so deeply meaningful to you. Remember, repent is remorse and return, and it is rethink, rethinking your identity. Remorse is necessary but you can't wallow in the muck of your remorse. You can't wallow in the muck of your shame. To feel guilty is not a bad thing, but to wallow in our shame never got anybody home. We have to rethink our identity. Philip Yancey was talking about people who struggle with addiction, and he said, I think a key to, to the, the addict being freed from that addiction is this question, does he or she know that he or she is a forgivable child of God? Do you know that you are forgivable? You have to rethink your identity. If you've written yourself off, then you'll never find your way home. You have to rethink your identity. Please hear me. You are, you are not hopeless. You are forgivable. You are not a lost cause. You are forgivable. You are not a throwaway. You are forgivable. Does he or she know that he or she is a forgivable child of God? That's, that's the rethinking your identity. To repent is to, to feel remorse. It is to return. It is to rethink your identity. Robert Robinson was 23 years old when he wrote those lines that we sang a moment ago, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Robert Robinson was aware of his tendencies to wander. He wrote about that and, and recognized that he, he had a bent toward wandering. And wander he did. Backslide he did. I have a little book that tells stories of hymns, hymn stories, the stories behind the hymns. And that book says that uh, Robert Robinson was an old man traveling on a stagecoach. Remember, these were the 1700s. When in the stagecoach with him, there was a lady with a, a book of hymns, a hymnal. And she was reading the hymns as apparently as devotional literature. She came to that hymn, Come thou fount of every blessing. 
She didn't know that this was the author, Robert Robinson, in the stagecoach with her. He was not a famous man. She commented on the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. What a wonderful hymn it is. Robert Robinson, the author, responded, Madam, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feelings I had then. Do you feel like you've lost something? Is there a feeling that that's gone? Jim Henry is the retired pastor of First Baptist Church of Orlando, Florida. He was doing a revival at First Baptist Church of Bowling Green, Kentucky, where uh, Billy and Jane Orton used to serve. Jim Henry uh, was uh, in his hotel and uh, walked by the lounge and saw in there a bunch of students, probably Western Kentucky University students. And being the bold and gregarious guy that he is, he walked into the lounge and walked up to a table full of a bunch of students. And uh, he didn't tell them who he is. He didn't share his identity. He just said, hey, can I ask you guys a question? What would make you happy, he asked those university students. They didn't know who he was, didn't know he was a pastor, minister in town to preach a revival, just saw him as a middle-aged man who'd asked an interesting question. And so one of them said, man, I'd be happy if I could just graduate. And another one said, I'd be happy if I could get a good job and make a good salary and buy a good house. A third guy was sitting by uh, a young lady. He put his arm around her and he said, I'd be happy if I could get this girl to marry me. And then there was a fourth young lady who said, I'd like to be happy like I was when I was a little girl and going to Sunday school and church. I'd like to be happy like I was when I was a little girl and going to Sunday school and church. That caused a great stir among her fellow students and, and a big laugh, maybe a nervous laugh. Eventually, Jim Henry disclosed his identity, told them he was a pastor in town. And, and the young lady followed him outside to the lobby. And she said, I really would like the peace and satisfaction I had back then. Do you miss the peace and the satisfaction that you had back then? Would you give in the words of Robert Robinson a thousand worlds to enjoy the feelings I had, as he said, the feelings I had then? If so, then these three weeks are for you, prone uh, to wander. In these three weeks, we're not going to shame each other. We're not going to point fingers at each other. But I'm going to invite you home. When I was growing up, we had at the end of the services what we called, we referred to as an altar call. And it was a, I grew up in a kind of a country church and we sang often uh, for that altar call an old gospel song that says, um, <clears throat> I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. 
the paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home, coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. My hunch is some of you grew up singing that too. Would you sing the chorus with me? Coming home, coming home. Never more to roam, open wide thine arms of love, Lord, I'm coming home. 505 is the hymn that we're going to sing. And we invite you home, not just to sing, but to make your decision public by coming down to where one of the ministers will be. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you if you need that. If coming home would mean investing yourself in this church and you feel like the Holy Spirit has led you to this place, then don't delay that. When others begin to sing, if you'd come and be part of us, we'd be thrilled. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're courageous enough to be willing to Step out and uh, openly identify with him. We'd be thrilled for you to go public uh, here. We sing uh, so that you will come. Would you stand, please? <laughs>